morning. Happy Saturday. This is Maestro A, Amil Car, Amili Amil. This is a very special edition of Leave It In The Ring Radio that we're running this Saturday because we've got a very a special guest that's about to join us. Look, if you grew up like me, born in the 80s, raised in the 90s, this man uh, that I'm going to bring on was definitely on your radar as a boxing fan because he did some tremendous things in the sport. He's written a new book that I've got to tell you guys is a fantastic read that I think everyone out there needs to check out. And look, I'll bring up some audio real quick to take us all back to one of the biggest moments uh, in boxing. If, again, you're from the 80s or 90s, this is a moment that you will have obviously remembered. And, of course, that was the night that Montel Griffin, uh, Montel Ice Griffin, uh, defeated Roy Jones Jr. in the ring. So I'm about to bring on Mr. Griffin. I'd like Mr. Griffin to take us back uh, to that time and also to kind of tell us where it all started at the uh, Windy City Boxing Club. I believe you started boxing at the age of three, Montel. And, again, Everyone needs to check out this book. It's one of the best boxing books I've read. I mean, the first one I ever received was from my mom as a gift, Ruben Hurricane Carter's uh, book, The Hurricane. And I got to tell you, Mr. Griffin, uh, it's been that long since I've read a book by a fighter uh, that's had me engaged like that. So I just want to thank you for joining the Leave It In The Ring Radio Network. You're going to catch us on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, all that good stuff. Welcome to the show, uh, Mr. Griffin. How are you doing on this Saturday? I'm doing fine, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. I woke up this morning, so I'm doing all right. Awesome, awesome. So th- look, that was a big moment in uh, in boxing. I remember getting into arguments with people because they essentially uh, were unwilling to, to admit that. Look, you frustrated Roy that night to the point where he had to literally hit you twice. The last one, a roundup shot. Um, and, and, right. I mean, it, it was a clear, clear foul. It was a clear, clear win. But why don't you take us back all the way to the beginning, Montel, uh, to the Montel of the age of three and kind of tell us how you got to that moment that night when you won the WBC light heavyweight championship of the world. This, this, this is a long story. If you, if you want to answer that question, it's a long, it's a long ending. I mean, long answer. But uh, mm-hmm. I, my father, Clarence Griffin, took my brother, Tim, at the time, almost uh, to the gym to learn self-defense. He fell in love with the game. Uh, Johnny Coulon was getting older. It was Johnny Coulon's gym from Canada. He was the bantamweight champion. They became friends. My father ended up buying the gym in 1973. So I was like three years old. I was going to the gym, just playing and doing everything because in and, and amateur boxing, you officially can't start fighting till you're 10 years old. Back, back It's eight years old now, but back when I was fighting, it was 10 years old. So I was just really just going to the gym, playing around, sparring guys, and um, you know, saying I had a couple of show fights, but they really didn't count. But uh I really didn't I really didn't have my official my first official fight until I was nine years old. The age bracket was 10, 11. My father lied and said I was 10, but I was nine. That was really my official 
uh, my first official fight. But uh, yeah, I mean the game of boxing, man. I've, I've been in the gym my whole life. I've been running game my whole life, and you know, I just love the game. I can't hear you now. So your father actually purchased the gym, uh, Windy City Boxing Club, and um, I understand that he he passed away uh, after you started your amateur career as a, as a young boy. All right, how did that impact your your development as a young man and, and as a fighter? I was terrible. Uh, I'm I'm just fortunate to be able to get out of the streets alive, and you know I, I grew up. I, I wasn't in the worst neighborhood, but uh. I mean, it was it was violence and you know violence and crime um, in my neighborhood, and you know just uh, I had a few friends that knew my story. My father passed away in 1983 when I was 12, born on 13, and just I just grew up as a regular uh, teenager. But a lot of my friends that knew about my background was telling me, "Man, you need to start back boxing." So a lot of times when we was gang banging or doing certain things, man, they just say, "Man, look, we got to take care of some business, man. Just you go home, and we'll see you tomorrow." I appreciate that, you know what I'm saying, that they uh they looked out for me like that, but I would have never did nothing illegal to get in trouble. Right. And you know, through through the book and, and through the reading, I understand that you also struck up a relationship with, with Muhammad Ali when you were young. How did that happen? Well, you know, my father's gym was in Woodline, which is like 10 minutes from Hyde Park where Muhammad Ali lived at. And he was coming to the gym when Johnny Kulon was there. So he got a you know relationship with my my dad, just asked him. Could he come in and train when he was in town? Knowing, you know, my father was going to say, yeah, but it was kind of crazy because every time he came, I don't know how, every time he, he would call my father and say, I'll be there at a certain time, no matter what, there would be 100 people sitting there waiting for him. I don't know how they found out. I don't know how they knew, but Ali would come to the gym. There'd be a huge group of people. Uh, he would sign autographs, take pictures, laugh, joke, and talk with everybody. And at the end, he would always ask my father, hey, what you going to do? My father said nothing. He said, come to the gym. I mean, come over my house. So we would, you know, we'd jump in the car, go over Ali's house and hang out. And, you know, nine times out of ten, Ali would look at me and say, come ride with me. And I look at my father. He said, go ahead. And uh, and this one day when we got there, I said, why are you always, you know, asking me, why are you always telling me to go with him? He said, son, you don't even understand what you're doing right now. And now, as a grown man, I understand. So let's take all of the fans, uh, Mr. Griffin, up to 1992, those great uh, games in Barcelona. I mean, a lot of people remember, obviously, the golden boy, Deloya, being part of that team. Why, why don't you tell us how you got to that point and, and made that Olympic team in 1992? Uh, I was uh, sitting One of my best friends, Ruben Jones, had got murdered in uh, December 89. A year later, I was... Uh, we went through a little depression. I was a fat pig. I got up to like 210 pounds. My car broke down. I didn't have a job. And uh, I got a phone when I was with my nephew. He just said, Uncle, what you doing with your life? I said, nothing. He said, come to LA and start boxing. And I said, okay. And I answered him so fast, he didn't believe me. But uh, what I did was my uh, my best friend, Ron Lee, his father was a mechanic. And I just told him, I said, look, bro, I'm trying to change my life around. I said, my car ain't running. I know you're a mechanic. Could you fix it for me? You give me some money so I can get out of here. And he said, okay. He gave me $500. And I bought a round trip ticket for $300. And I went to L.A. with $200 in my pocket. Uh, January 1991, I had my first fight in eight years. January 1992, I was number one in the nation in one year. And um, I ended up making an Olympic team with 30 amateur fights. Wow, that is an incredible story. Outside of the ring for that amount of time, literally – 
put together everything you can uh, and, and make it uh, to the Olympic Games. So after those Olympic Games, uh, you turn pro and you start out undefeated. Uh, you obviously uh, got onto my radar uh, as a as a young man um, with the Roy Jones Jr. win. Can you talk to us a little bit about the late, the kind of build up towards that, where you were, uh, how you how you started as a pro, like your development as a professional fighter? Well, yeah, well, you know, I can't I can't just go straight to the Roy Jones win. Um, no, no. I had a huge win against uh, Ray Lathan. Yep. Uh, 14-0, 14-0, 13 knockouts, knocking out everybody. Uh, I beat him. That was the fight when I knew I was the real deal. Uh, this guy hit harder than any man ever hit me in my life. I went 12 rounds with him. He dropped me. I got back up. Uh, I outpointed him. That was the fight right there. I knew I could do, I could make, the, you know, noise in boxing. Then I got a phone call from my manager a few months later. He said, do you think you'd be James Tony?" I said, well, I, I, this, this is where I put it together. I, yeah. sparred, I sparred James in 1992. I was an amateur. He was a two-time world champ. And he told me out of his own mouth, he said, man, it's like I'm fighting a mirror of myself. That was in 1992. So three years later, with all my experience, I just said to my mother, like, yeah, I could beat him. So, we, you know, we, we uh, scheduled a fight. A lot of people thought it was a dumb fight. I fought James Tony with only 14. And let me break it down to you. I had 30, 33 amateur fights from 91 to 92, and only 33 amateur fights. But my whole amateur career coming back, and then I turned pro and had 14 pro fights and beat James Tony. Don't forget that. So... No, you beat him. You beat him twice. I don't think anybody else has has done that. And um, right. I beat yeah. him twice, but the first I'm saying the first time I beat him only mm-hmm. had 14 pro fights. Right, and he had 41 fights. At, uh, no, more than that. I think he had like 43, 44 fights at that time. He was two time world champ. He had been. He was. He was the pound for pound best fighter in the world three months early when he you know before when he fought Roy Jones. So. He was in. I I I fought both. I fought both these guys, and I have wins against both these guys in a absolute prime. Yes, and that fight uh, was in Vegas, right? Yeah, the first fight was in uh, Vegas. Uh, we had a ball. Yeah, absolutely. And was that your your first fight in Vegas? I believe yeah. it was right. That was my first fight in Vegas. So you also fought overseas too, uh, as well, right? You fought in the UK. A couple times in, in London, three times. I fought in Ireland. I fought in Germany. Uh, fought everywhere. And what was that like going to the historic York Hall in London again? As you b- built up your experience in your career as a professional, well, you know, I, I didn't really, I didn't really know nothing about York Hall. I heard a lot of stories, so I didn't put too much pressure on it. And uh, I went over there, you know, took care of my business. There you go. There you go. So you get, you had that win over James Tony. Uh, what did that do in terms of your confidence uh, at that point as a fighter? Well, I, I, I got my confidence in 91 and 92. Mm-hmm. I, was, I sparred Reggie Johnson. I sparred uh, uh, James Tony in 92. I sparred James the Heat Kitchen. So in 91, 92, I was sparring top dog, Vincent Durham. Uh, I was so I was like I was doing you know handling my you know my handling my own as an amateur with these guys they was pros and world champs so that's when I started getting my confidence. So were you in the the Midwest at this point? No, I was in LA. I left I left and moved to LA on uh, December ninety. There you go. There you go. And my whole amateur career was out of based out of LA. Got you. Got you. So you had those those wins over over Tony 
And um, l- let's talk about the night uh, that, that I started out here with at the Taj Mahal Casino, live on HBO. I remember watching that as a kid. Can you, can you talk about, like, leading up to that fight? I mean, it was, man, it was just a great experience. Man, I had over, like, 30, 40 people from Chicago who came out and supported me. Um, everything was just beautiful. I, I felt good going into the fight. I was in, I was in tip-top shape. I was ready. Uh, you know, the James Tony fights, I beat one of the best middleweights ever in history two times. I was ready for Roy Jones. Uh, he was a fast guy, fastest guy I've ever been in the ring with. Uh, that that kind of threw me off a little bit because uh, I sparred banner weights up to heavyweight. And uh, for this man to be so fast, I'm like, man, I got to keep my eyes open. I threw like a little lazy jab, and he hit me with a right hand over the top. So fast, I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, this dude, I ain't never seen anybody this fast. So I had to keep my eyes open. And I, what I what I did, I tried to match his speed. I'm not saying I'm faster than him or just as fast as him, but I matched his speed as far as counter punching and defense and everything, and it, and it was very successful for me. Gotcha. So you won your world title. I'm sure it was a little bit uh, bittersweet, uh, given how it happened, but obviously tremendous accomplishment. And look, what I want the fans to realize is your career is obviously far. Uh, goes far beyond uh, that fight and that moment. I mean, you fought Darius Michalszewski, a guy that Roy didn't fight, right? You you fought. Uh, obviously, you got those big two wins against um, against James Tony. You fought Derek Harmon and beat him. Uh, I mean, you you were fighting some top dudes out there. You fought Antonio Tarver, obviously. Uh, Jose Cesar Gonzalez was had a big record when you fought him. Babu Chubinov, a guy who who made a lot of noise in the light heavyweight division. Can you just talk about some of your toughest fights, uh, Montel? Well, you know, I, uh, I just, you know, it's a few fights. I just, just you know, I don't want to be negative about it, but a few fights just didn't go my way. Um, I fought Mikaszewski in Germany. Man, I was beating this man easy every round, every round. If you look at the video, Phil Cortez stopped the fight for no reason. It was, it was BS. Um, he got paid off without a doubt. I don't care about starting arguments or rumors. Joe Cortez got paid off. He stopped the fight for no reason. I was beating the man easy. You know what I'm saying? As far as Tava, it was a great, great fighter. Um, I got caught in the back of the head in the first round. I tried my best. I still, I was, I'm, I'm proud of myself for going 11 rounds with a concussion. So thing, you know, that things didn't go my way, but it is what it is. As far as uh, who's the, who, uh, uh, Julio Gonzalez, I'll make no excuses. Uh. I fought him on Cinco de Mayo, which I don't know why Al Hammond would even uh, have me fighting this man in California on Cinco de Mayo. I wasn't going to win if I didn't knock him out. So it's just part of my game, man. But it is what it is. Yeah, and that's the other the other side of the sport, right? I mean, a guy that you fought as well, another great fighter, Glenn Johnson. I mean, that's something he knows a lot about as well. But obviously, you had that experience in that fight too, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and you read the book. You see what I when I went to the dressing room and told him. I said, I said, what did you find the founder youth? And he put his head down. I knew then he was cheating, and I walked right out there. Yeah. I, I, ain't, I ain't got to make no excuse. I'm telling people what happened. I oh. walked in his dressing room after our fight, and I said, what did you find the founder youth? And he put his head down, and I left out because he was two years older than me, and he had too much energy. Someone right, but it is what it is. No, it is what it is. And like I said uh, prior to uh, the the start of the show, I want people to read this book. I really do, because it is a great read. And it's not often 
that you get a professional fighter, a former world champion that puts ink to paper and writes out uh, his story in this way. Like I said, growing up, there was a book that had a big impact on me. My mom gave it to me as a gift. It was signed by Reuben Hurricane Carter. I enjoyed reading this book the way I enjoyed reading that book as a kid. And I'm saying that now as a grown man, as a public school teacher, that, that this is a book that I'm also going to share with, with, with kids, with students, um, and not just with fight fans. Montel, you put together a really uh, good book. And talking about the kids right now, I'd like you to talk a little bit about uh, what you're doing right now with Windy City Boxing. Obviously, your dad purchased that gym. Now you are involved with it. Like, wh- what are you doing um, right now? What can you tell us and the rest of the fans about that? Well, um, three years ago, well, four, four and a half years ago, I was suspended from my job. I was a good county sheriff. Um, a guy walked over to me, and I defended myself. So when I got suspended, I said, man, I, I got to do something. I'm just sitting around spending my savings because I was suspended without no pay. So I went in my bank account, opened up my boxing gym. Uh, my father uh, passed away in 83. The gym was open for a while. Sam Colonna did a hell of a job with it. They had to close down. So when he opened up his, his gym, I was glad because the Windy City Boxing Club gym name was open. So I opened up in my father's name, Clarence Griffin, Windy City Boxing Club. So we did that three years ago. Um, since that time, we started youth programs. I started working with After School Matters, which is a program here in Chicago that pays kids to go work out. So but who who doesn't? I mean, all kids want to train and have fun. Who gets paid to work out? These kids are blessed. So that's After School Matters. And also have Windy City Boxing Youth Foundation a nonprofit that uh, my, my business partner, Sean Brady, uh started up and Dan McCarthy. So I'm, I do, I do uh, 30 uh, scholarships a month for kids to come in and train for free. So we're we doing pretty good, man. I'm, I'm just trying to give back, man. Uh, I had a great life. Uh, I had a lot of people in my life teaching me, and I just want to give it back to them. There you go. Author, world champion, youth worker, businessman. I mean, you're doing it all. Uh, why don't you tell us? Yeah, there you go. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, that poster or that painting you've got behind you, Montel? A uh, crazy story. Uh, Paul Vaden, the ultimate Vaden, a uh, 154-pound champion who lives in San Diego I hadn't seen in 20 years, found my phone number from Chris Bird and said, hey, bro, I got something for you. You'll love it. Give me your address. So I didn't know what to expect. I gave my address, and I even forgot about it. Maybe two or three weeks came by. And this, uh, this big package showed up to my door from Paul Vaden. And it was a picture that he said he saw. This one, I've won the NABF title. I knocked out Matthew Charles in the 11th round on a Riddick Bow uh, Golada undercard at Madison Square Garden. So I put it up in my home, and uh, I'm thankful that he uh, looked out for me and sent it to me. There you go. And I know uh, you're probably a busy man, and it is a Saturday. So I just got two more uh, questions for you. Champ. As long as I leave out in about nine minutes, I'll be okay. All right, cool. So the first question is, you're from the Midwest. And, you know, I, I grew up listening to a lot of Midwest hip-hop and uh, following athletes from the Midwest. And I've always felt that when it comes to music and sports and definitely boxing, the Midwest is a little bit underrated as it, as it compares to, like, the East Coast or the West Coast. You just give your experiences kind of a generally and your thoughts on – being someone from the Midwest? Well, let's give a shout-out to Roger Mayweather, the original Black Mamba. He would, if you go to Floyd Mayweather's gym, it's a picture on the wall with like 100 great fighters. 
And Roger would go up to it and point out every fighter that's from the Midwest and say, we are the greatest, we had the greatest fighters in history. And he'll say, Montel, you from the Midwest too. So I always respected because Roger respected me as a, a, a fighter. Um, he, I looked up to him. I, I actually uh, watched Roger win his world title two months before my father passed away. He won his world title. I watched it with my father. So when I went to Vegas and met him, I was very excited. And um, the family, Jeff, uh, Big Floyd, and then Lil Floyd in 96 when he came there, all showed me love. So um, I got respect for that family. Right. And you mentioned, obviously, uh, uh, Chris Bird earlier. I don't know if you follow the the Durrell brothers and what they've done, at, um, at, at especially uh, Andre at one uh, sorry, Anthony at 168. Um, but the Midwest is still doing it. Sean Porter. Uh, Midwest still doing their thing. Yeah, Midwest still doing their thing. I, uh, uh, I sparred Andre Durrell maybe, maybe 10 years ago. I can't remember. Um, he walked in the gym, and I looked at his body language. I looked at everything about him, and I started cracking up laughing. I walked up to him. I said, you've been around Chris Bird," And he started laughing. I said, you act just – I said, I'm sitting there watching the, the swag, the, everything he had. And, um, you know, it, it's crazy because I always thought I sparred. I never, I supposed to spar Andre Ward, but I didn't. But I sparred Andre Durrell, and I just thought, man, this kid is going to be a hell of a fighter. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that things didn't work out for him. Well, I'm sure he wanted to. He had a couple of fights that was kind of controversial, kind of crazy. But, uh, yeah, that, that was Chris Bird. Chris Bird worked with him. And uh, Chris Bird, I owe him and his family also because before the Olympic trials started, my manager had fell out with my trainer, Jesse Reed. I mean, my, my lawyer had fell out with my trainer, Jesse Reed. And he told me, say, look, you can stay with me or you can go with Jesse. I was like, I'm 20 years old. I'm broke. You taking care of me. I got to stay with you. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of, you know, Jesse Reed was upset with me, but that's the reason I split up with Jesse Reed. I just, I need somebody to take care of me. He was my, the guy who was uh, taking care of me. So uh, I called Chris. I said, bro, I don't got nowhere to train, man, because you asked about your father. And these people did not know. I met Chris at the U.S. Championships. I called this man. His family let me come stay in their house for two months. I, I slept with them. Uh, uh, the mother, uh, she passed away. Much respect to Miss Bird. She showed me love. It, it was like they, they just accepted me as a family. Uh, they would say, hey, my, she, would, she would call me and say, Montel, come here. I need you to go to the store and get some, uh, some juice. And I'm like, she got other, two other sons in this house. And she calling me. So she looked at me as a son. So I felt great about that. That's awesome, champ. And last thing I'm going to ask you, you still keeping up with the uh, the, heavy, the light heavyweight division? You following it? Yeah, better BF. Uh, you know what I'm saying? He, he's doing his thing. The other uh, Asian kid, I, his name started with a B, too, but I can't remember. It. B-ball? Yeah, B-ball. B-ball, better BF, better BF. They're doing their thing. Uh, you know, Canelo, he, he, you know, he, he picking and choosing which guys go up and fight. So um, boxing, man, is right now is in great hands. Uh, the, the, the people who run the game is terrible and need to be replaced. But inside the boxing world is great. From, from the heavyweight division down to the small guys, we got a thousand great fighters, everybody coming up, and it's, it's very exciting. Uh, we, I was just arguing with uh, some guys at a bar yesterday about uh, Earl Spence and uh, Bud Crawford, and I pulled a little rank, so I called Derek James, and Derek James was like, man, we're going to win. So, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I said, that's one fight I can't wait to see. I'm so excited about the boxing game. Absolutely. And uh, Ryan Garcia and all these young guys, Tiafimo. The, the game's in great hands. Well, I got one more question and very quick question. Fury, great. Fury and Joshua. Uh, it, 
undisputed heavyweight title. Who do you got in that fight? What are your thoughts? The boxing game is so crazy. And I'm going to tell you like this. If Deontay Wilder can get his mental back on point and whatever, whatever, this what I this I don't know why, but this is how I see it. I see Joshua beating Fury, and I see Wilder coming back, maybe beating Joshua. Just because it's it's crazy in the boxing world. Wow. Wow. That's that's amazing. So uh look, thank you for your time, champ. Uh we've had on uh, Montel Ice Griffin, legend of the sport. Only man to beat James Tony twice, also beat, obviously, Roy Jones Jr. Had a lot of other impressive wins, fought all over the world, has produced a great book that I recommend to everyone, The Ice Life. Again, Montel Ice Griffin, uh, former uh, WBC light heavyweight champion of the world. Thank you for your time, sir. I really appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate it. My link is theicelifebook.com. So there you go. Icelifebook.com is how you uh, buy my book. Icelifebook.com. Awesome. Thank you, sir. You tell you have a great Saturday and, and keep it up with those kids, man. No doubt. No doubt. I will. Absolutely. Take care. So that was none other than Montel, the ice Griffin or ice Griffin. I should say the WBC Light heavyweight champion of the world from uh, the 1990s, man, legend of the sport, wrote a fantastic book. I highly recommend it to everyone. I know this was a random uh, live uh, here on a Saturday. I'll probably do a few more of these in the future. It was great getting up today, uh, going for a little walk, coming back over here and interviewing, again, a legend of the sport. He talked about his childhood. He talked about his experience uh, getting to the 1992 Olympic Games in Barcelona. He talked about his uh, road to that big, big fight with Roy Jones Jr. that obviously included a win over James Tony and others, and then kind of the uh, ups and downs in the sport as it relates, obviously, judging and PEDs and all kinds of other things. So look, check out his book, if you're listening on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you name it, make sure that you give uh, this a five-star, all right? Make sure you go check out that book. Again, it is The Ice Life uh, by Montel Ice Griffin. Thank you, everyone. That is it. I am Maestro A, NYC public school teacher with the boxing show on the Leave It in the Ring radio network, and I am out.